أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم قال ما مكنني فيه ربي خير فأعينوني بقوة أجعل بينكم وبينهم ردما رب الشحر صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته so today, inshallah, our intention is to continue our discussions on Surah Al-Kahf, uh, picking up from ayah number 95, where we left off yesterday. Um, for those of you that are watching on social media, I decided to go live today just to inform you that this is what I've been busy with over the last couple of months and will remain busy probably for the next couple of months, completing the tafsir study of Surah Al-Kahf. It's being held here at the Bayina campus every night, five nights a week. Uh, and so if any of you are ever visiting Dallas or happen to be in town, you can swing by and attend between Maghrib and Isha. Uh, for those of you that are interested in the entire series on Surah Al-Kahf, which I started a couple of years ago, and then left off in the middle and then picked up again, uh, the entire series is on Bayina.tv. And the rest of this series, even though this particular session is com coming up on social media also, is not going to be on social media. In fact, the majority of my work on the Quran, especially the Deeper Look series, where I try to go in-depth ayah by ayah in the Quran, uh, the library of that work is on Bayna TV and you're welcome to access that. Just a quick note about Bayna TV, those of you who don't have uh, a subscription to it uh, and would like one, there are two options. It costs $11 a month to get a subscription, but if you're not able to afford one, you are not denied one anyway. So you can request a gift subscription and Bayna just sponsors your subscription and you're able to access the material regardless. Uh, but it is something that organizationally I do uh, request of people that would like to study the Qur'an along with me, uh, that they do become subscribers to Bayna TV because it is a different platform than social media. And my, my, my intention is to evolve that platform so I can engage in more direct Qur'an studies related work with the following that's there. Um, the technology behind it is evolving as we speak. So eventually, I hope to be able to do live presentations from within Bayna TV and have interactions with my audience through that platform also because as all of you might know, social media is a, an open, crazy place. So being focused into your studies requires that you have a space where everybody's focused on the same thing and we're having productive conversation and not distracted by any other tangents, right? So, and for that reason, I think it's, it's absolutely important that we have a, a platform where there can be that kind of focused engagement. Uh, so regardless, every now and then I do post uh, material on social media for everybody's consumption also, uh, because I think that's an important uh, way to, you know, to reach out to those of you that may not have access or may have bad internet connections or whatever else. Regardless, uh, because this is um, a lecture today that many of you are not keeping up with the series, I'll just mention something very brief so we can have some context before I get into the ayah. This is again, as the screen says, 95, ayah 95 of Surah Al-Kahf. We're going through the story of Dhul Qarnayn. And he has made two stops in his journey. And on his third stop, he's met a group of people that barely have any ability to communicate with him. And he finds a creative means by which he can actually interact with them. And once he does, they let him know what the issue is, which was in the last ayah. They told him, Inna ya'juja wa ma'juja mufsiduna fil ard. That no doubt ya'juja and ma'juj, these people are causes of great corruption in everywhere. In the land, in the region, meaning everywhere, also means that they are heading this way meaning they've come to know that the attack is coming and it's imminent that they're going to be invaded and overrun by this barbaric tribe. Uh, and so they turn to him and ask for help. So can we furnish you with some kind of a levy, a tax, some kind of a homage that's given to a king, homage, uh, so that you, we can fund you so that you can build a dam or some kind of a wall, a barrier, a sad uh, between us and them. Baynana wa baynahum sadda. The word sad is used for mountains. It's also used for any other kind of barrier. And so when he entered between the two mountains to get into this valley where he met these people, Allah used the word saddain. And then the word sad is occurring again to illustrate perhaps that they want a barrier built that is as high as the mountains themselves. So the two edges, the peaks of the mountain should be met with this barrier that he's going to build for them. This also tells you that they don't have the ability to build that. They don't have that ability. But they do have the resource because clearly Dhul Qarnayn did not travel with mountains worth of metal and building materials to get to this place. So they have the raw materials, but they don't have the know-how, the ability, the technology uh, to be able to build the, or, or maybe perhaps even the manpower to build. 
So now they've made this request to him and they've offered him money in order to do so, uh, which is normal for kings. Kings, you know, governments. Governments take taxes from us and in exchange they give us protection. It's one of the fundamental things governments give you, right? So they, they're, they're making a very fundamental offer. And this is going to be Dhulqarnain's response. Qala, ma makkanni fihi rabbi khair. Whatever my master has, has uh, stabilized me with, whatever he has furnished me with, um, the word makkana is was used with Yusuf alayhi salam makkana lahu fil ardi, right? It was used early on in the story of Yusuf alayhi salam when he first ended up in the house of the minister, and then later on it was used when he became the the minister of of sorts himself. So makkana was used for Yusuf alayhi salam. So it's it's important to know where these words are used and how they were used to give us a clue of what these words contain, right? And especially the, the Arabic dictionary is helpful and Quran's different contexts are very helpful, right? Uh, and together they form a picture of how this word is used by Ara in Arabic and then also how this word is used by Allah himself, right? So uh, one of the ways Allah uses this word is he describes for the Quraysh who were very full of themselves rejecting the Prophet's message that we gave in Surah Al-An'am, we, we gave other nations tamkeen ma'lam numakkin lakum. Right? We we provided them stability. We gave the pharaohs dynasties that lasted several generations, give them architectural technology, give them ag agriculture, give them access to waterways, give them international trade, gave them all kinds of power and expansion that you couldn't even imagine. That was not furnished to you. You used to live in mud and you know barely brick homes. That's where you are. You don't have massive roadways and highways and the kind of civilization that exists outside of you in the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire and other empires and some greater empires that were destroyed. So Allah is telling them that he had furnished and provided stability. This word makkana is important to understand from the Arabic point of view too. So that, that was the Quraysh context. In Surah Yusuf's context is really interesting because when you think of empires having tamkeen, stability, you think of manpower, military, you know, uh, land, agriculture, resources, natural resources, right? So you, you think of things that make a government strong or an empire strong. All of those things that make it strong and stable are the elements of Tamkeen. But with Yusuf alayhi salam, that's the, that's the meaning that makes sense later on when he becomes the minister of Egypt. So he has governmental authority, he has resources, he has manpower, so that fits. But it was also used much earlier on when he was in the house of the minister as a slave, as a child slave. And that's where Allah used this word for him again, first. So how is this word being used early on? Perhaps because whatever he went through in that life was part of preparing him for the eventual tamkeen that's coming, right? And because it's preparing him for it, all of this is part of tamkeen, meaning your great the, the stability that eventually we see as stability has building blocks, has prerequisites that are also part of that stability. Your growth, your, your learning is part of your graduation, if you will, right? So all of this is a necessary component. We human beings become so obsessed with measuring things by the result, but not the efforts and the components that led to that result. And it's those components that are also tamkeen by Allah. If Allah did not provide you this stable opportunity to take one step, another step, another step, another step, until you finally got to the eventual result that everybody can see, then you needed tamkeen at every one of those steps. Think of, easy example, think of yourself as a student in the university. You just started your first semester. You've got a long way to go. But you having the ability to finish that one semester or take that one next exam or take that finish that one next project or one next assignment actually require, required them keen. You were, you were placed in a certain way. You were able to afford the semester. You were able to find the right kind of help. You were able to make time. You, you were, your health was in a good place. You're mentally in a good place to be able to do all those things. That's also Allah providing them keen. So them keen is not just material. It's also furnishing things that stabilize your situation. Now, the origin of the word from the Arabic sense is also very interesting. By the way, Tamkeen in the case of Yusuf also has to do with his, his knowledge because he was a servant in the house of a minister. And the biblical version, I talked about this in detail in the Yusuf series, um, the, 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 he had an opportunity to sit in on many conversations that were happening between millionaires, politicians, governors. So he understands 
how how politics work. He's kind of inside closed door meetings because he lives in that house. He also understands how the the women of politicians, the you know those those the housewives, they have their own social circle and they operate their own certain way. And he has an he has an insider's view of that too that even the husbands don't have. He has that insider's view. And he's a servant, so he understands how the lowest classes in society, the working class, the people that are selling vegetables and fruits and cleaning the streets, he he's interacting with them too. So in a sense, he's getting a very thorough education of reality in Egypt from top to bottom, from every sector of society, right? And that's part of what's going to make him a very stable leader later on, right? So this is part of him developing the tamkin. This is Allah situating him in the right place at the right time. Interestingly, there are two arguments, one less accepted, one far more convincing and more accepted. And I've already hinted which one I'm more convinced of, that the word makkana or tamkin comes from meme, kaf, and noon. The root origin letters are meme, kaf, and noon. And makana, it was used for, the, the verb was used for when a lizard or other animals lay an egg. Okay, so makanat al-dabba was used for when the liz, lizard lays an egg. Okay, so Hassan Hassan Jabal in his dictionary argues that the word makana has to do with meme, kaf, and noon. However, the more common understanding and a very much more convincing understanding is actually it's the word the word originally is kana yakunu kaunan. It's from the word kaun, and the dharf makan, the dharf of kaun is makan, right? So the word makan comes from kaun. The ma in the beginning is used in Arabic as a prefix to describe places and times. So maghrib, for example, is the place of the sunset and the time of sunset. That meme in the beginning tells you that it's a dharf makan or a dharf zaman. Same way masjid, the, ma, the meme in the beginning, the ma in the beginning specifically, is for the place you do sajda or the time when you do sajda. So khudu zinatakum inda kulli masjidin. Okay? So this, the, in the same way, uh, uh, by the way, another quick example, maw'id. Maw'id is the time when the promise shall be fulfilled. Or in modern Arabic, the appointment is maw'id. Right, because it's a, it's the name of a time. So the ma in the beginning it denotes time and place. Now makan started getting used for location. Makan in Arabic started getting used for location because it's the place where someone exists. Kaun means existence. Makan the place where somebody exists. And from this idea of existing in a place, when you exist in a place long enough, what happened was the original root letters were kaf, wow, and noon. But the word got used so much that the meme that is actually for the varfiya, the meme is the, actually not the root letter. The root letters are kaf, wow, and noon. Another new word spawned from it, which became meme, kaf, and noon. So the meme actually then uh, kind of mutated into its own root letter. And from it, you get the word makkana, which is actually still related to kaun in that sense. But more than kaun, it's related to makan. So it's an interesting origin of the word. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that tamkin has to do with someone who is well-situated, stabilized in their place. Think of, to, to make sense of that in easy language, think of somebody who is not well, like economically not doing well, can't find a job. So they're living in one place, couldn't afford the rent. They had to go move in with an uncle until saved a little bit of money, moved to another city to get a job. That didn't work out. Then they have to move to this other place. Then they have to move to this other place. They don't, they, they're not in one makan, right? They keep moving from makan to makan to makan, and that means they don't have tamkin. That would mean they lack tamkin. So the idea is when someone is well situated where they are, all the resources they need to have a stable life are, are furnished for them. All their needs are taken care of, and they're they're well taken, well established. You know the phrase we use, well established, right? But when someone's deeply rooted and well established, they enjoy tamkin. They are mutamakkin. Matamakin is someone well situated in a place. Now, from that, we get in the Quran, makkanakum, you know, uh, 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 like the, the Egyptians were given tamkin in the land, meaning they weren't people like the nomads who have to move from here to here to here to here, right? And the Arabs, interestingly enough, the, 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 the Ahl Makkah specifically, the people living in Makkah, they're in the middle of a desert. And the only survival resource they have is Zamzam, really. And the only way they can survive is by moving and doing trade. They don't have the resources to survive just staying in Mecca. They have to import export. 
So in that very literal sense, they can't enjoy tamkeen. They have to do rihlat al-shita wa saif. Right? So Allah puts them in their place and says, you think you have tamkeen? I gave other nations resources. People used to come to them. They didn't go to people. Look at look at Yusuf Alayhisam's government in Egypt. People are coming to him for food, right? He's not going out somewhere to, to get food for his people. People are coming to him. All the nations, surrounding nations that are starving, including you know uh, his family that was not actually in Egypt, they're coming to him to get, to get food from Canaan, right? So the same now with that in mind, we're, we're going to come back to Surah Al-Kahf. Dhul-Qarnayn is responding to the offer that, listen, we want you to build a dam, we want you to build this barrier, we will provide you the funds for it, we can, we'll do what we can. Because they know when a king does something, when a king prepares an army or defense, you know in ancient times what used to happen? Kings would send an emissary, he would make an announcement, then the village is about to be attacked, all able men, women, and children, you know, men, men, women, children, whoever is able to fight, we are, you're, you're forcibly drafted. And we need all your jewels, all your all your medals, all your weapons, all of that needs to be taken in. You you were basically, you know, nowadays we have the draft, what forced enlistment into the military. Back in the day, it was forcing all of your assets and absorbing them into the military because it's a matter of survival for the kingdom. So they're used to that. They're used to the government coming in the in case of emergency and taking everything, right? That's what they they may have seen in other cases. So they offer it ahead of time and say, We'll give you kharj. We'll, we'll muster up everything to, to provide you for building us this, this resource. Now, I was reminded when I read this ayah of two other places in the Quran. There's one place, uh, Sulaiman alayhi salam, people came and offered him a gift. People offered him what, what looks like a gift but was actually a bribe. And Sulaiman alayhi salam basically humiliated them. <laughs> basically. He said, what Allah has given me is way better than what you can give me. And and this bihadiyatikum tafrahun with this gift of yours, you people are happy. You're so proud that you you were paying me off with this. Ah, so he put them in their place, yeah, as if to say the kingdom of Sulaiman alayhi is so powerful and so resourceful that your pathetic gifts that you think are a big deal are nothing to me. Allah has given me way better than this, right? That's not the kind of response you see here. You see. That's it. Not khayrum mimma atakum. You see extended language in Suleiman's case. And he's insulting them on top. Or oh, you think you're happy by giving me that? You think this is worth something? He put them in their place. So first let's c- compare and contrast. Because that's also a king. This is also a king. He's also being given an offer. They're also being given an offer. So there's a parallel, right? Now that parallel is very interesting. Those people were trying to buy... Uh, political advantage with Suleiman. They were politicians that were already well off and they were trying to get strategic advantage by buying because politicians buy other politicians. Nowadays, lobbyists buy politicians, right? They take them on first class trips and give them all kinds of gifts and try to get away with it. And this is a way of buying politicians, giving them gifts. And Suleiman saw right through it. And he knows these are the kind of people that need to be insulted because they think this is how they can accomplish things in life. By, by buying people out. So he humiliates what they gave him. They needed to be humiliated because they are degrading, degraded people. They have no integrity with the way that they, they conducted themselves. These people don't lack integrity. They're not trying to buy out a politician. They're actually desperate for security. They don't need to be humiliated. So that's one interesting parallel, that he's not going to talk to them in a way that's condescending, before I even get into the language of how he talked to them. The other interesting parallel is Yusuf We come back to Yusuf Because Yusuf when he was in prison, right? He also made reference to what Allah has given him is better. What Allah, you know, Rabbi. This is from what my Rabb taught me. He was talking to non-Muslim inmates, and he when he helped them out with what they needed, that's the connection here. He helped two inmates with what they, he helped two non-Muslims with what they needed, and here Dhulqarnain is going to help this non-Muslim village with what they need. And what's he going to do? He's going to say in a very intelligent way, Yusuf salam is going to say, "And this this help that I provided you is because Allah, my master, is the one who taught me, and from what he taught me, I was able to help you." And this is a very 
a beautiful, subtle, intelligent way of introducing these people not to himself but to his Rabb. So before you get impressed, man, you gave me such a good answer, bro. Like you interpreted my dream. Like that was that was awesome. Yeah, that's because my Rabb taught me. So he's immediately, he's saying that I'm able to do this. I'm learned. I am learned. But the only reason I'm learned is because my Rabb taught me. Two elements here to remember with Yusuf that are going to happen here again. The two elements are, one, he gives credit to Allah. And thereby he's introducing these people that don't know enough or don't know anything about Allah, he's introducing them to Allah. He's also letting them know that Allah is not just a creator, Allah is also a teacher. Allah is also a teacher. So he's he's giving them something about Allah that's very interesting, right? For them, like, you can learn from your Rabb? I thought you just get owned by your Rabb. You get controlled by your Rabb. You just get given by, you, your Rabb can teach you? That's new. How does, he, how does he teach you? So he's implicitly introducing them to the concept of revelation, isn't he? Right? The second part is actually that he's acknowledging, he didn't say, oh, I don't know anything, it's my Rabb. Like he didn't, he gave Allah credit, but he didn't remove himself from the equation. He's acknowledging that Allah has given him the gift of having learned. And that he's putting that gift to use. This is also important. He didn't say, no credit goes to me. This is just Allah. I have nothing to do with No, Allah, my master taught me, which actually puts value on himself too. Because I have been honored to be able to teach you something. It comes from a high source. And I have been gifted to give this. You know, And that's why you'll notice in that passage that this is a fadl of Allah on him and on his family. Right, so he acknowledges that this is a, a, an honor that he belongs to an honorable family that Allah continues to gift with this gift of revelation. So he made reference to that when he was conversing with those two inmates. Dhul-Qarnayn is in a very similar position. When a king is going to say, I will build this dam for you, the people are going to say, what a great king, man. You should see what he built. They'll be so amazed with what he built for them. And before he even agrees to what he will build for them or whether or not he'll agree, he starts by saying, "Ma makani fihi rabbi khair." Not "Ma ladiya khair." What I have is better than what you can give me. You villagers, what are you going to collect apples and you know uh, uh, coconuts and give them to me? What are you going to give me? Not coconuts. They're not at a beach. I don't know what they're going to give him. But whatever they give him, how does this compare to what I already have? He didn't frame it in that way. He said, "Whatever my master provided me by giving me stability, what my master gave me it in." One place from Makan to be situated in a place. It's remarkable. You know what that means? Wherever he goes, he's situated. In other words, he goes somewhere and he's not experiencing instability. And so Allah has, wherever he goes, he's not in a shortage of resources. So even as he's come here, he's not in a shortage of resources, even though he's in a foreign place. So whatever Allah has provided me is so remarkable that I'm able to go anywhere and still enjoy tamkeen. And in, in that, what Allah has given me, my master has given me, is better. He didn't even humiliate them by saying khairum mimma indakum or mimma, ladai, mimma huwa ladaykum. It's better than what you have. It's better than what you can give me. Okay? He didn't, he didn't put them down. He just said what my master has is better. Also the word khair has two implications. It could mean better, which is comparative. But khair can also stand for the word good itself. What Allah has given me good, and in that sense it could mean whatever Allah has given me is enough. I don't need it from you. If Allah has provided me the ability to serve and to fulfill uh, a certain obligation, now what is what does Dhul Qarnayn see as his obligation? He sees from the first expedition, every expedition is building on the, the next expedition. That's how you have to understand it. In the first expedition, we learn that he is going to implement a policy of justice. And he's not going to let wrongdoers get away with wrongdoing. That's what we learned in the first expedition. In the second expedition, he met a new people again, and Allah said, Kadalik which Imam Razi very beautifully pointed out, that would mean that whatever policy he implemented in expedition number one is the same policy he's going to impl implement in expedition number two. So he sees as part of his mandate to implement justice wherever he goes. Now he's coming to expedition number three. In expedition number three, there are also Ammaman Valama. Who's the Valim in this third case? You know, in the first case, it was Ammaman Valama. There's people that do wrong. Who are the people that are doing wrong in this third case? It's Ya'juj and Ma'juj. They're going to do wrong. And his mandate is not take money from people and then stop the wrongdoer. His mandate is to stop the wrongdoer. But his original mandate, remember, was to punish the wrongdoer. فَسَوْفَ نُعَذِّبُهُ 
We will punish him, then he'll be taken back to his rab and all of that. We, we conversed, we talked about that before. But this time, instead of him implementing a policy, first of all, they're in a state of emergency. And there's not enough time. And perhaps he realizes that in this case, me engaging in war with, you know, Ya'juj and Ma'juj, which I may be able to fight, but it might be a prolonged war. It seems from the, the, the meaning of the word and Ajja that they're an overwhelming force. They keep on coming and coming and coming. They're a huge, massive, this might be multiple years of a war. And in that war, these people will get trampled. So right now, offense is not the best strategy. They actually are suggesting the best strategy, which is to quell, to slow down, or to stop, at least temporarily at least, the onslaught of Dhulqarnayn, or the onslaught of Yajuj and Majuj. So he's not implementing that policy yet, but it's still within justice. And he's saying now, what we need to do is what you're saying, but the resources my master has given me are better to do it. In other words, I have enough to do what needs to be done, and I didn't come here to collect from you. I didn't come here to take your money. And this is what kingdoms used to do and empires do. They take resources from people, and they say we're taking them in the name of protecting you, and then they end up becoming the Yajuj and Majuj on top of the people. They protect them by robbing them more than anybody else would rob them. That's what governments end up doing. That's what kingdoms ended up doing in the past and what governments do today, right? So he has taken a completely different approach. He understands that when Allah has given him this power, this ability, his responsibility wherever he goes is to establish justice to the best of his ability, to do good for people, to protect people, to protect life. And again, he's not protecting Muslim life. He's protecting human life. These people don't know. They, they're just getting introduced to their Rabb. And in doing so, they're introduced to a king they've never seen the likes of before. Because a king, when he says, I shall build a wall that you have never seen, it's going to be the greatest wall ever. Like it's going to be the, the best wall. And people are saying already it's the best wall. <laughs> right? uh, instead of saying that, he's actually saying that the credit goes to my rub. But... My Rabb has given me Tamkeen. So he's putting himself in a position of authority. Just like Yusuf did not discredit himself just to give credit to Allah. Gave credit to Allah, but also said, I'm the one that has the stability to do so. And I'm better off doing so. But then he says something really interesting. He says, Fa'a'inuni. Then aid me. Help me. So let's look at the word A'inuni. I've translated this, then help me. Well, it's kind of a contradiction. I already have everything I need, no thanks. So help me. Wait, you said you have everything you need. So you shouldn't be asking for what? Help. You were, you were offering me help, kharj. I said no. I said my Rabb has given me better. So help me. So why in the world would he say help me? Because it seems to contradict the first thing he said. This is really beautiful. Let's understand the word aun first, then we'll solve that riddle. Uh, Al-Awan, meaning in, in the, the wazan of it, min al-baqar wal-khayr allati nutijat ba'da batniha al-bikr. Basically, I'll, instead of reading the entire etymology to you, the word uh, awan was used and awn was used for when an animal gives successive birth, meaning it gave birth to a, a goat, gave birth to a little baby goat, and the, the farmer wasn't expecting that it gave birth to yet another one. It was carrying more than one. So, and the, the, the extended help that the farmer got because he was expecting his investment to double, but his investment, what? Tripled, right? So that, that's from the, the word aun comes uh, from it. And there are lots of other, when a tree grows taller than ex expected, when things come out where you didn't expect them. So it, it, it's actually when you have extended help, when you have help already, and then you have extended help. So the word i'ana, this is by the way, the same origin aun is used in the Fatiha when we say iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. And I've explained this in common language before. There's lots of words in Arabic for help. But when you're already doing something and you want additional help, that's when aun is used. Like the, the, the baby goat was born, but there was additional help with another one. Right? So the additional help is actually called aun. So, This is actually the word aun that it's it reinforces and re-strengthens with extension. 
So let's come back to the, the ayah itself. What does the word Aun do here? He's saying, know-how-wise, stability-wise, I have everything I need. I even have an army with me. They can build it for me. But I want you to take part in this with me. I already have the help I need. I want you to extend the help. I want you to be involved. And he could have just said, work for me or do what I say. But he used a word that made these people, he honored these people. And he made them feel, even though the first part of it is clear, he doesn't need their help. He still invited them to help him. Reinforce me, add to my strength. So he, and, and this word is really beautiful because now he's making those people feel like they're part of his team. They're making a, they're, they're working together. Because when someone asks you for help, uh, aid me, assist me, extend to my, my, my power, what are they doing? First of all, they're humbling themselves. But second of all, they're empowering those who they say help me. Wow, he asked me for help? We can help him? Oh, we, we must be worth something. You see, they came to Dhul-Qarnayn, we can't do anything. We don't know what to do. And he says, you're not as weak as you think you are. You've accepted this kind of defeat because of an overwhelming force and you feel helpless. So you're coming to me and the only thing you could give me is money. No, I don't need your money. I need your help. I need you to stand up for yourselves. If you want to help me, you got to stand up. You got to step up. Because this is your land. You have to defend it. So I'm not just going to build this for you. My master has given me enough to build it. But part of my mandate is not just to help people, but to learn to teach people to help themselves. Remember the phrase, teach a man to fish? That's what he's doing with a'inuni. And the biquwatan is really beautiful too. A'inuni biquwatan has two dimensions. Help me with power. Simple translation. Help me with power. This power could mean two things. It could mean add to my manpower. So my, when, my, when my engineers and my, my soldiers are putting bricks together, putting molten copper together, building the cauldron, pulling the ropes, go help them. Help me with manpower. That's easy meaning. Fine. But the other meaning actually also applies. And that is help me by becoming strong, by becoming powerful. In other words, when I leave, because he's stopping and going and stopping and going, I'm not going to be here to defend you this whole time. You're going to have to become my strength of this kingdom when I leave. You can help me with your own strength so that you, when I'm gone and this wall is built, because you know, if these are, these are robbers and invaders and raiders, this wall is powerful as it is. This is also really interesting. They, he built a sad that couldn't be scaled. Right? They couldn't do it. They couldn't scale it, they couldn't drill through it. But what's around on both sides? Mountains, right? So you can't beat the metal, but what could you scale? You could scale the mountains. You could still scale the mountains. You could still somehow, with difficulty, still, fine, you can't dig hook, hooks into the, 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 the metal and the copper that he's going to build, but you could dig hooks into rock. You could eventually scale it. You can build some kind of a... You know, a police system to bring bring you know your your men up. You could do that eventually, right? So he understands that this wall is not just going to oh solve the problem. This problem won't be solved by someone coming in and defending you. Don't just add, ask for foreign military aid and your nation's problems will be solved. You're going to have to stand up for yourselves. Sound familiar? How many nations in the world that can't stand up for themselves? And they ask for foreign aid, foreign military assistance. And the foreign military comes and things get better or things get worse. Oh my God. Oh my God. And what is he saying? I will help you. But this help will mean nothing until you become empowered yourselves. Until you stand up for your nation yourselves. Do you see how timeless these lessons are? Like he, he's not even from that land, but he's, he realizes something. Just building some resources, building a wall, building some defenses, using this tech, using this advanced nation's technology to help you with your immediate problem. You don't just need the tech. You don't need the money. You don't need the engineering. You've, the, the, the thing that you can help me with, because without that help, all of this is useless, will be manpower and you helping empower yourselves. And then he says, I love this ayah. Love it. 
He, this is called in, in grammar, this is called Talab wa Jawabu Talab. Talab and Jawabu Talab for Arabic students is an Afil Amr, A'inuni Fi'il Amr. And then Aj'al Fi'il Mudari' Majzum. Walimada Majzum, Lianahu Jawabu Talab. Al Amr huwa Talab, Aj'al Jawabu Talab. What does that mean in simple English? When you say to somebody, Help me, help me. I'll get this done. Help me, I'll get this done. The help me part is an imperative. You commanded somebody, you requested somebody, help me. When you said, I'll get this done, you connected these two things together as if, help me, and if you do, I'll get this done. So it's almost like, shart and jawabu shart. It's a conditional statement. If you help me, I'll get this done. But when the command is involved, then this is called talab and jawabu talab. Now what does that do in this ayah? He actually doesn't need their help to get this done. He can just say, بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ رَدْمًا He could say, مَا مَكَّنِّي فِيهِ رَبِّي خَيْرٍ فَأَجْعَلُوا بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ رَدْمًا Simple. What Allah has given me is better. So I will put a barrier between you and them. Easy. But he puts something in between. This is his wisdom. This is actually the sabab that he's also been given. Resources. He understands not just that materials are resources. Empowering people itself is a resource. Empowering people itself is a resource. In the modern world, taking advantage of nations for short-term gains is considered a strategy. Dhulqarnayn's strategy is when you empower a nation and they can defend themselves and they can learn to build things themselves and they can grow themselves, then you have made allies for generations. You've made, you've made them an ally because you, made them, you helped them stand up on their own feet. Just like you can give somebody charity, like some, some kid, or you can give them charity. So if you, if you, instead of giving that child charity, you provided that child an education. You provided that young man job training, right? He's grateful to someone who gave him charity, but that charity could have gone into him buying some candy and he's a beggar again still. But if you empowered that child or you empowered that young man, then you have someone who is going to go later and empower somebody else, right? That, that's what he's gonna do. And he's gonna carry on a legacy that you created. This is the mentality of the Qadmi. It's incredible. So that now let's understand that Talab and Jawabu Talab. He says, help me. And it's as if he's saying, help me. And as a result of you helping me, I shall, I shall create this radam between you and them. You know what that makes them feel? It, it makes them feel so empowered that even though Allah has given him something better, what Allah has, what he still needs is our help. Right? Allah has given him resources, know-how. They don't know how to build a dam. He's given them the resources. He's given them the know-how. He's given him the military. He's given him the expertise. But yet, he needs the manpower. And these people who have no background in anything, they don't have an extensive education. They don't know engineering. They barely spoke his language. We already dealt with that problem. And yet, they have something that he needs to accomplish this great task. So what? It, it, this has so many lessons. First, for leadership. Don't underestimate people and what they can do. Then for people, don't underestimate yourselves and what you're capable of. You might consider yourselves weak in compared to superpowers, the Ya'jujas and Ma'jujas of the world. What can we do? They have money, they have resources, they have media, they have military, they have drones, they have planes, they have satellites, they have this, they have this, they have this. We have not. Yeah, you have yourselves. You have Quwa. You have Quwa. You have something. You're, you're, you're underestimating yourself. You sell yourself short and then you remain waiting for somebody to come and help. And Dhulqarnayn's ultimate help to them is, I will teach you, but you're going to build it. I'll teach you, but you're the ones that are going to build it. Which is why you'll find in the next ayah, he's not doing it. He's telling them what to do. Now do this. Now bring this. Now pour this. Isn't that what he's doing? They're doing all the work. And he's showing them that the resources were there, the, the work ethic was there, the talent was there. All you needed was some direction. That's all you needed. Then we get to the word radma, because they ask for a sad, yes? But he says, no, I shall place as a result between me and you, between you and them, I shall place a radm, a new word, which is another word for barrier. Well, that this is actually, let me let me open up the, the notes on radm. Did I put them down here? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's here, okay. The word radm actually means uh, as-saddul qawi, al-azim. 
The strongest kind of barrier is called Radam. So it's as if they said, build us a barrier. He said, I'll build you a super barrier. Build, build us a barrier? No, no, no. I'll build you a barrier. That's what I'll build you. But you know why that's so beautiful? Because he says, with your help, forget barrier. We're going to make something that makes a barrier look like it's nothing. We'll make a radam. And the, so, so this is used in Arabic for something that lasts, something that doesn't have any gaps in it, something that stays in place. A barrier could fall. Aradam is something that sticks. That's why they use, you know, they, they use the expression Ardama alayhi al-marad. That the, the, the disease stuck to him. It wouldn't let him go. You know, like a chronic disease, a chronic disorder. This is, has irdam on the patient. It doesn't let him go. So, and it is a good imagery because a, a disease is fused inside of the person or the animal or the, or the human being and it becomes one with them. It doesn't let them go. So they become a part of the person. And this Radam that he's going to build is going to become a part of the mountain. Won't let it go. It's not. It's not like when you and I drill a nail in the wall and then put some art up and then, <laughs> you know, because it's not. It doesn't stay. So he is now telling these people that we are capable of much more than Asad. You thought the best we can do is Asad. You underestimated yourselves. But help me do this. Help me accomplish this. I'll do it. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you how to do it. But until you decide to help, until you decide to empower yourselves, this cannot be helped. You can't pull this off. It's a very beautiful exchange between these people and him. And from it, we realize something. By the way, like I said, they had the natural resources already. They had the metal. Zulkarnain didn't bring the metal from somewhere. And there's no time to get it from somewhere else. They're on the verge of coming. The ism fa'il is used when something's just about to happen. You know, So they say, for example, Allah says, He's about to do it. He's about to do it. So when they say, Then actually one of its implications is, this is any day now, they'll be here. Any week now, they'll be here. There's no time to go and import metals from somewhere. and All of, all of that's already there. So what, and, and it's not like, Zulqarnain only knows how to build with these materials. It's as if there were materials there, and he's like, using based on these materials, this is what we can build. In other words, you have whatever resources you have, and then you decide what's the best use of these resources for the solution at hand. Because there may be, oh no, we're used to building it with this, this, and this material. We don't, we don't do it with because you know there's no improvisation, there's no creativity in solutions. Until we have the same resources, the same technology, the same process that other nations have, we can't do anything. No, 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 no. You can find alternatives. Just because they did things a certain way doesn't mean you have to do them that way. You do whatever resources you have been given. Whatever you have been given. So what has Allah given him in this case is the last question. Finances are there, but it's not finances that are needed right now. Finances aren't needed. The tamkeen of Dhulqarnain in this case seems to be, first of all, I don't need your money because, by the way, kings don't need money to build. They can just tell their soldiers and pay them later. They, they just need to provide food and that's it. But what he, what Allah has given him is an ability to empower people and that's part of his tamkeen. Because technically, the when, when the wall got built, the, the manpower was not his and the materials were not his. Both of them were those peoples. So where's his tamkeen? His tamkeen is to be able to help people realize their potential and make use of their own resources. Empower a nation with itself. Subhanallah. مَا مَكَّنِّي فِيهِ رَبِّ خَيْرِ فَأَعِينُونِي بِقُوَّةٍ أَجْعَلْ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ رَدْمًا The other side of this is he trusted the people. It's one of the last discussions I'll have with you today. He trusted the people. They said, and Jawad, you pointed this out yesterday, um, we don't want you to go to war. We want you to just build a wall. The defensive strategy is the smartest strategy right now. And he as a king can actually also say, you know what? No, no wall is going to help. I'm going to enlist all of you in my army. Let's go fight. That's the only option. No, he actually empowered. He, he enabled them to entrusted them with their position. 
He understood that their opinion is actually a better opinion. He went with it. That's not the, he didn't go into the first land, Maghrib al-Shams, with an, a defensive strategy. He actually went with an implementation strategy. The second time, same policy, Kadalik. The third time, no, this is not going to work here. We're going to have to take a back seat and we're going to have to take the path of least resistance and we're going to have to take a defensive strategy. And the only way we can do the least damage is by stopping this wave of Ya'juj and Ma'juj. And the only way to stop it is they're right, something needs to be built here, but a sad won't be enough. It'll have to be a radam. And we can pull this off. It's remarkable that he has the agility to not say, no, this is how we do things. This is how I've always done things. It worked over here, it worked over here. Why wouldn't it work here? He doesn't have that kind of an ego problem. When he's given a new suggestion, he doesn't say, who, who is the king? You or me? Who's the strategist? You or me? You know? You've seen your face. You're going to give me suggestions? You can't even speak. You're going to tell me what to do? Right? That's not his mindset. His ego didn't get damaged by the suggestion that they gave. In fact, first, no thanks. I don't want your money, but I do like your suggestion. Right? He didn't take their, their, their kharj, but he did take their suggestion. And then he did take their manpower and he empowered them. And he, this is now let's finally look at why didn't he take their resources and why did he implement this wall? The first obvious answer is he sees his mandate to help people around the world. Wherever he goes, he's helping people and stabilizing. So the tamkeen Allah has given him, he wants to give that to others, right? It's actually, in a sense, he's been given tamkeen and he's making people mutamakkin, isn't he? So they can be stable. This is an, another implicit lesson here. What Allah has given you as a gift, your contribution will be to help give that gift to others to the point where they can yet give it to others. Now watch this. They are between two mountain paths, which means, like I told you, they're a gateway, which means if the Ya'juj and go through them, they will kill all of them or enslave them, but then they'll go on to other regions and territories. But now that they've learned how to build a wall, a barricade. And they didn't know this before. Now, not only have they prevented chaos from spreading to them, they've prevented chaos from spreading further in the region. And in the meantime, they can help other nations build similar barricades. They can now empower other nations. While Vulkanain recedes, the further lands towards the other side, now he has passed on this knowledge to them so they can be of service to yet others, you understand? So there's a trickle effect of the good that he's done. There's long-term consequences of the good of education. And that's the last bit here today. That one of the things that transforms a society and stabilizes a society is emphasis on education. What kind of education did he give them? Here we didn't learn about him. We learned that he gave credit to Allah. So he's giving them character education. Don't become full of yourselves. And by the way, now that you know how to build a wall and you're successful, right? Don't turn into Yajuj and Majuj yourselves. Now that we're safe, we can act in this way. By the way, some nations do this. They were oppressed. They were oppressed. The moment they found safety, they became the oppressors. And every Muslim listening to this knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? From the World War II to the modern state of Israel, what's happened, right? They, they, they faced the Yajuj and Majuj. And now two decades later, they became Ya'juj and Ma'juj. You understand that, right? It, it, it flipped with, with no time. We're going to see that lesson too. He's going to give them a reminder that this stability that you enjoy is not permanent. Just because you have a safety net now, doesn't mean you get to turn back and become the monster you were afraid of. This is not forever. That's a, that's a later lesson. But here, the power of the, uh, the educating nations to become self-reliant, educating nations to become independent, education, educating nations to become safe, technology education, engineering education. That's what he's given them, engineering education and principles of justice. That's what he's given them. We have a mandate in these ayat about what nations in the world need, struggling nations in the world need. They need an emphasis on education. We need the best universities that teach engineering, medicine, the sciences, alongside our deen, alongside the principle, more importantly, the principles of our deen, the principle of justice, 
the principle of transparency, the principle of using your resources creatively, the principle of communicating with people that nobody's communicating with, the principle of, you know, all the focus in the cities. You know what happens in countries nowadays? Like you have, you have nations where obviously every nation has big cities. And then we have small towns and villages, right? And the majority of most countries is actually village country, right? The, the city centers are few and far between. They're the economic hub. And then the rest of it is undeveloped rural area, right? And huge majorities of people live in the rural areas, undeveloped areas. And the government and its resources are all focused where? In the cities, in the voter base, in the economic base. And that empowerment is supposed to go to the undeveloped areas where لا يكادون يفقهون قولا exist. They're supposed to go where Matla'i Shams is. They're supposed to go where, you know, Aynin Hami'a is. They're supposed to go to those places and empower those places. That's the, supposed to be the mandate. They're important. This is Dhul mentality. You know, he's not interested in, oh, let me conquer, conquer the next major city center and then the next major city center, then the next major city center. He's creating... He's taking villages that maybe three generations from now will become city centers. You see that? They're villages now. They're, they're nomad people or they live up in the mountains. But if they get this kind of stability and education, who knows what they'll transform into in the next few months or the next few years or in two generations. That's what you call thinking ahead. Don't underestimate. We, we, we think transformation won't come until we only transform the places that are already developed. But we don't be failed to see the potential in the undeveloped part of the world. In the people that who, who were considered ah, not an important voter base, right? What are we going to get out of that? You know, that we, we turn a blind eye, a blind eye to those places, and those places suffer in the world. Nobody hears their cries. Nobody seeks to empower them. And it's not just about sending them charity. Because you could keep sending them charity, then they're going to be unable to protect themselves from the next flood the next earthquake, the next crime wave, the next whatever, until you learn to empower them so they can do what these people did. That's our mandate. Muslims that are listening to this, you should think about where if you come from a certain country, right? And you have the ability, you have the ability to find places in that country that you think can help. You know, we think until we change the government, nothing will change. Until we topple you know, one regime and bring about a new regime, nothing will change. Hold on a second. How about we start empowering a town, a village, the corners of the world, the, the forgotten places in the world? How about we start creating good, you know, economically self-sustaining villages, small towns that, that, are, that are standing up by themselves? And enough of those when they rise up, a nation rises. When education will, I, I personally honestly believe this, if education in the lowest economic regions in the world is emphasized, the world will be a different place. The world will just become a different place entirely, entirely. And that should be a mandate for the Muslims, especially after reading something like the story of Dhul Qarnayn. So I'm gonna stop inshallah our discussion on this ayah for today. And then we're gonna to get, uh, tomorrow I won't be posting on, uh, on social media. But if you, again, if you'd like to catch the series in its entirety, I am putting all of this up on uh, on Bayina.tv along with all of the other surahs that I've been working on. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Barakallahu li wa lakum fi al-Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil-ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.